Welcome to Theology Thursday, an ecumenical space for students to discuss matters of faith and theology. I'm your host, Connor Grubbs. I am your co-host, Ryan Mock. And I'm your co-co-host, Johnny Grubbs. Here we are, episode two of season four, episode 84 in total. That's insane. We're just just booking right along. Really bad at keeping up with this. Hey, here's the deal. We're going into a new season, and uh, we're in a new location. By the way, don't record a podcast in a restaurant. It's a terrible idea. There's equipment that stays on, even overnight, and um, it's very noisy. I like it. Johnny likes it. He insists that we stay here. Um, I mean, the sign looks nice, and that's up there. It's cool, because like, I'll be making food, and I'll kind of look over, and I'm like, oh, people are eating by, by our podcast sign. We are a staple in this community. Hey, if you subscribed because you came into the store and saw the sign, which I know a couple people told me they were going to, but they are probably lying. If that's you, come in, and I'll give you a free biscuit. Let them know that, that Cactus Jack sent you. Um, is, that the really, is that the coupon code? Are you Cactus Jack? It's the Travis Scott thing. I know, the, I know it's okay, a Okay, all right, I just thought maybe you weren't hip. Okay, I missed out on that one. Oh, you didn't know about I, that I knew part? about oh. Travis Scott Burger, but I didn't no, catch they the No, so cactus. you know why I'm here. Cactus Jack sent me. He likes cactus barbecue Jack sauce and fries. Dipping <laughs> 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 the barbecue sauce. Cactus Jack was his first album, I think. I, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um, we're not culture. That, that being said, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, we, we actually, okay. I had a really fancy setup. In an office, I, I went the whole time we were not having our season. I was setting this up, and I don't have that office or that setup anymore. <laughs> so I, I both put it together and uh, you know don't have it all before we even started recording season four. But we're working towards it. And if you want to help, there's a couple things you can do. One, we have a few monthly supporters. So if you'd like to become a monthly supporter, you can. It doesn't even let you give more than $9.99 a month. So that's a very simple kind of way to get And you can give lower than that. It just doesn't let you give more because we're not really asking for a ton of money. Uh, We just, you know, every little bit helps. You can also give us a rating and a review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that's a huge help. If you're on YouTube, a like, a comment. just anything like that helps us get one step closer to um, improving the podcast. And by the way, for our supporters, we're currently like just hit our first hundred dollars. We want to thank you for that. Woo! Um, that's both from ad revenue, but also some direct monthly support. So we're really grateful for that. And um, our first thousand guaranteed is going to go back into the podcast by getting new equipment where we could each have our own mic and all this stuff. But for now, Calvin, the trusty blue snowball mic, is returned. So this will sound a little bit better than last week, but we're still not quite there. We're trying to work out all the kinks. In 2020, you can achieve high sound quality virtually anywhere, even in a restaurant with noises. Yeah. So we can do this, but it's going to take a little bit more effort. Yeah, and the fact that you can do it for $1,000, that's the budget I put together for us to have pristine top-notch professional audio quality the fact that you can even do it for that little money now is kind of amazing there's only one problem with this though is we won't be able to sip as often yeah but it'll be it'll be noisy i'm gonna sip away crystal clear i sip quietly i'm not gonna let that no there's ways to edit that all right from sipping here's the thing 
We've talked too long about it, but hey, last week I didn't want to apologize for the bad audio quality because I was prideful, but this week I'm just going to come out in a minute. Be patient with us. I'm sorry. We love you. Um, we're still going to provide quality content, just not quality content. So <laughs> Here we go. My sub point for the week is Passion of the Christ, the sequel. Uh, they're doing another one. Okay, like our life, like, like church history. No, no, they're making another movie. Um, I know, but this is so Mel Gibson had confirmed this a while ago. Um, in fact, he's been talking about it for the past like five or six years now. Mel Gibson's come under some controversy. He uh, had a, a little bit of struggle with you know drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, and he got caught on this anti-Semitic rant that was not cool. Uh, he's apologized since and. Even kind of come back into the good graces with Hollywood with his uh, 2016 release, Hacksaw Ridge, which, by the way, is an incredible movie. movie, one of my favorites. Uh, and he's done a few acting stuff since then, such as Daddy's Home 2. <laughs> so, uh, I, I will say this, they're, they're officially making a chicken run, too, and they did not invite him back for that. They're recasting his role, which is really sad. Did you hear about Chicken Run 2? I didn't I heard, know about that. I know about Chicken Run 2 is, the sad thing is, isn't that a Netflix? It's straight to Netflix. I don't be watching that because of what we were talking about Netflix. last week. Hashtag boycott Netflix. So, um, and Mel Gibson's not in it, so... Who cares? You know, it, it, don't you think it's ironic that Netflix is boycotting... Mel Gibson for having a bout with alcoholism and now we're boycotting Netflix for being pedophiles. Yeah. It is kind of a weird wacky world. It's a weird wacky world. That's a really that was a really simplified way of putting all those things. Um, So let let me pull something up real quick. I really I don't necessarily encourage this but okay here's the deal. In the comment sections of all the news releases about uh this Passion of the Christ sequel, people have been coming up with titles. Um, Do they have a release date for it? No, there's still no release date. And they've so not this may never happened because no, I, no, no, I, no, no, no. I've been hearing about this for years. No, no, we have been hearing about it for years. Here's why it's come back into the news recently. Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in the first film and will be portraying him in this one, um, posted something recently and announced recently. He's like, I just got the final draft of the script. And it's oh, like a picture okay. of the script and all that stuff too. And it's the official title is Passion of the Christ, the Resurrection. And a lot of people are wondering, what will this movie even be about? Like, you covered it, right? I assume it would be about Jesus' 40 days on earth before he ascends. Yeah, That's my guess. And I think that, that that time involves Jesus and a lot of other people, whereas the first film just covered his crucifixion, so you're pretty much on Jesus the whole time. So they would have to venture off and, and kind of, you know, like the people on the road to Emmaus and kind of show them... And, Sure, and, and and there really is a lot you could do with it. Some people are afraid that he's going to, because uh, there's pull, pull been a Noah. Well, <laughs> there, there's been some implications that maybe possibly he's going to show the three days that Jesus was dead, shown going into hell and confronting Satan, Ooh, which is theologically not probably. Accurate. Yeah, yeah, which there's debate. There, there's debate around there. that. There's debate whether he went to. So here's the thing. I'll be interested to see what they do with it because it could go really weird. And I think w- with Mel Gibson at this point, there's no way to know. Oh, like yeah. this could be really good, or this could be really weird. What I will say is, I feel that Jim Caviezel is a little more conservative in his views um, theologically. He's okay. So um, 
just recently capitol hill baptist church in washington dc has filed a lawsuit against the city of washington dc and if you don't know anything about capitol hill baptist church it is the the church of mark dever uh who's just kind of like a, he's a well-known baptist preacher uh in conservative evangelical circles and so they filed a lawsuit against washington dc uh concerning covid19 restrictions for worship so i think a lot of people hearing that get different reactions a lot of people are like yes stand up against the government uh on one side and then the other side we have people rolling their eyes like why are you doing this but actually i think through looking what at what capitol hill uh, church has been doing with this lawsuit i actually think they take a pretty fair approach what they have been doing uh for the past months is they actually are meeting in virginia outside at a, at a church location they meet outside and they are not allowed to meet indoors or outdoors in the city of washington dc and so their problem is that the city is restricting them from meeting indoors or outdoors but they are allowing other things to occur in the city like large protests and they're opening back restaurants to certain capacities and they feel that they feel that they have not been getting proper treatment so that's really what they're fighting about they are taking covid 19 seriously after services they they are requiring face masks and socially dis distancing so it's not that they're not taking it seriously but they just want equal treatment uh from the city uh, in allowing them to at least worship outdoors in the city. Sure, and I think this is an interesting discussion now because we've been in this for several months now, like we're kind of getting into the new normal. At first, when it was like the first couple weeks of uh, all this COVID-19 stuff and lockdown and nobody really knew what was happening, and it's like week one and week two of quarantine, and some churches were just like, no, nah, we're going to gather together and lick each other's faces. It's like, um... That's really dumb. And we talked about that. That's it was dumb like, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but we no, talked I know what about you mean. Yeah, it's yeah, like it having like... mosh pits and stuff on the first week of lockdown when we didn't really have any information. And we talked about that. That was very unwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but now several states are open. Churches are meeting with social distancing, with masks, with precautions, uh, such as all of the churches that we attend, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of churches here in Florida. And so it's kind of like, well, why are, you know, it tends to be a lot of the more liberal states, because unfortunately this has become a political issue rather than a health <laughs> right. issue, yeah. um, uh, that are not allowing this to happen. I was actually, there, uh, Sean Foich is a worship leader who's been traveling around, and he started this movement called Let Us Worship, because he's in California, and they have very strict laws there, and they were enforcing them to the extent that it was getting unconstitutional. And um, so they decided to have a big worship gathering out on a beach where they could spread out and just be outside and just worship and that's gone from city to city it was just in tampa last weekend and uh, look i'm all for stuff like that you know i think uh we have to be wise we have to be cautious and i don't think we're in a state where it's like oh we're getting persecuted it's like the no but we do need to be careful you know uh and and, and protect our rights and make sure that those are being honored yeah, and I think, I think you're absolutely right that we're coming to a crossroads now more than in the beginning mm -hmm. where it's like, now wait a minute, you know, th this place is open or this establishment is open. So, so it's that fair equal treatment thing, whereas the problem in the beginning of lockdown was when, especially during those two weeks to slow the spread and that was kind of extended and over Easter and stuff like that, where people were like, 
no, just shut everything down. And churches want it to be the exception. You know, right, right. now, churches aren't asking to be the exception. They're asking for the same um, ability to make a choice that everybody else is now having right, the opportunity right. to make. And so that's very different. Yeah, cool. Interesting. Okay, Johnny? Yeah, real quickly. So um, I had not gotten into the weeds when it came to the, the whole cuties controversy, which we talked about on last week's episode. So you went and watched the movie? Heck no. <laughs> um, but just to give a background, if you didn't listen last week, or if you don't know, I didn't know, so I may not be the only one living under a rock. Cuties is this movie that's basically it's supposedly supposed to be about not sexualizing children, but to communicate that they sexualize children. Now, just in case you missed last week's episode, I love the Babylon Bee article that gives the analogy. It says, like, Netflix releases documentary about how murdering puppies is wrong by murdering thousands of puppies on right. screen. Because they're, they're, they're real children. And when you guys said it last week, as, as the father of a little girl, I was horrified. And so I, I wanted to do more research without watching the film. And I looked at some reviews. And what was really interesting is... And, and I'm not lobbying for either political spectrum. What I'm trying to communicate is just say, there's a lot of polarization that, that seems unnecessary, right? And unfortunately, there's all this stuff that I think is permeated in evangelicalism about deep state and like there's, there's like something even deeper that, that's going on in like the radical left party that we can't fully understand. Russell Moore's part of the Southern Baptist Convention deep state. <laughs> right. According to, to <laughs> follow with Jerry. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and unfortunately, and I, I do want to caution believers, like I think that's a scary place to be. If you're into those conspiracy theories and stuff like that, I've seen the effects of that on families. It like, be careful. Um, but what's interesting about that is as I was watching reviewers, whether they were far right or they were far left they, they were overall they were fairly unified on this issue mm-hmm. and what i found is there are, is a subset of people defending the movie which god knows why that doesn't make any sense whatsoever mm-hmm. um, but there's a subset on the left and on the right that defend it but they're very marginalized i mean mm-hmm. they're bad people you know they really right. are um and so what's interesting is is there was this case to be made uh, after doing research and reading about it that basically uh, people, especially who were thought there is a left deep state, were saying, "Well, this is it. This is the start. Netflix is part of the left's agenda to normalize pedophilia." When le- uh, leftist leaders and and just individuals are coming out and saying, "No, this is this is borderline pedophilia." Right. You know, if if they wanted to make a movie where you know they they could have used actresses that were of age that looked younger or they could have done a cartoon there's a lot of different ways to communicate what they communicated without actually sexualizing little girls right yeah that's horrible and so it's just interesting to me that um regardless of your political affiliation it seems that pedophilia is still frowned upon this might be the one thing that unites the right and the left is uh the Um, uh, disdain for it uh, yeah, and, and that's not to say a stand shouldn't be taken against it. It's just to say that, and I was relieved to see this too, even if you just look in the comment sections of an article about it on Facebook or a review of it on YouTube, everybody is like saying this is disgusting. Yeah. Why is this a thing? Right. And I don't even think, here's the thing about Netflix. Their business strategy has been to sign on as many movies as possible right. without care about the quality or what's in the film. They just are signing deals left and right and getting their their strategy. You know, you have all these different streaming services out there, and their, their strategy has been quantity over quality. Just how many movies and shows can we have on our platform? And every once in a while, you get something like Stranger Things or whatever that you're like, oh, this is really good. 
But, like, I don't even think they're really anybody at Netflix paying too much attention to what's going on there. No, I was about to say that. People, especially who are into kind of the conspiracy theories that thinks that there's some kind of nefarious agenda under certain things. And certainly there's bad things that go on in Washington. Duh. You know, like behind closed doors, I'm sure. But a lot of people that believe that, you know, that there's kind of nefarious things, they forget that the driving factor is money. Right. It's money. Obviously... Netflix can afford to lose subscribers more than they can afford to lose whatever check they got from the creators of this film. Sure. That's it. I mean, sure. are those things be like... And there's contracts and things involved, but I do think that now it, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and, like, that's what I want to see from Netflix now is, like, okay, whoa, like, this needs to go. But, yeah, I, you know, and a lot of people have talked about... I mean, here's the thing. There are certain Christians who, you know canceled netflix a while ago because uh they're and it seems like their foreign market is really what they don't pay a whole lot of attention to because they released a film that portrayed jesus as a gay man trying to hide his boyfriend at the last supper with it was just completely blasphemous and very offensive and nobody even thought it was funny not even atheists they're just like this is just bad like you know and and so they there's a repeated pattern of just these movies that like there's no market for them, really. Mm. And they keep signing on. Um, but yeah, it, 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 to me, it was like, okay, at least everybody agrees, you know, for the most part, <laughs> that this is wrong. There's this very small group of people that are like, this is great. <laughs> well, and it also proves that if there is a deep state trying to normalize, that's it's not going to work. Yeah, they're not. It's never going to happen. It's never <laughs> going to yeah. become part of our society. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, it's it's a minority, if if yeah. anything. So. Uh, there's our sub points. Good times. Hey, now for a brief word from our sponsor. If we have one. To be fair, you may be listening to this and we don't have one yet, but it'll be there eventually. So, uh, <laughs> here we are. Main topic. Let's go. All right. Ryan, this is what happens when you have a bunch of homeschool kids in your youth group. Okay, so all, all mail-in the, voting, go. All, all the questions that we have today are from my youth group. Yeah, and, and I can't, I mean, it's, look, honestly, I mean, we're 80-something episodes in now. It's kind of miraculous we didn't get some of these questions sooner. Uh, but, you know, I, we're going to talk about marriage today, okay? And, <laughs> should, we, and, should we put our disclaimer now? No, no, the first question's okay. Everybody <laughs> right. can listen to this first question. This first question's great. The second question... I just kind of warn you in advance if you got any youngins listening. Uh, you know, if you're under the age of 16, maybe you want to ask your parents about this. <laughs> or if you're a family listening to this together, uh, we are going to talk about some sexual things. It's just a little warning there, a little advisory warning. But but that's the second question. Let's get through this first one. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay, you got the question. I got it. So it, do you have to be married under state law in order to be considered married in God's eyes. In other words, if hypothetically the state did not allow heterosexual marriages, could two people still be married in God's eyes? That's just an example of how this question might practically be applied. And I think really the root of this question, this is a, when I first heard this question, very thought-provoking question. I didn't have an immediate answer to this question, but I think the root of this question is, is there a difference between a state marriage and a religious marriage? 
Well, the I, short answer is yes. Short answer is yes, but I think it definitely goes deeper than just that. Yes. Uh, I think there's different levels to that. I think, I don't know what, if you all have some in-depth stuff I would to love say, for you but, to start. Okay, so I'll start by saying this. I think that in our current circumstances, if you are to get married to somebody, then you should go through the state because the state a state marriage is a valid marriage. Um, I think that the Bible recognizes that state marriages are uh, valid, and I'll give you a um, I'll give you a Bible passage here. This is First Corinthians chapter seven, which is a chapter all about marriage, and and Paul here is talking about um, you know what to do in marriage, and you know what you can do outside marriage, or and how the wife and the husband are supposed to treat each other. Uh, by the way, everything that Paul talks about here is very revolutionary for its time. Uh, marriage was a little bit different back then. Uh, and so what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is really uh, saying something quite revolutionary about marriage, that, that actually men and women are equals. And that wasn't necessarily the case for marriage back then. It, 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 particularly in the Roman Empire, marriage was very much about status and money and, uh, and making political moves. And basically, as a woman, uh, if you are basically put into marriage, m many of those marriages were arranged by families uh, for status and for money. Uh, if you were a woman, you basically were owned by your, your husband. So... Uh, what Paul is saying here in this chapter, I highly encourage you to read it, is quite revolutionary for its time. Uh, but one, a few verses in particular I want to point out is chapter 7, verses 12, uh, and then uh, going through, I believe I'm going to go through uh, 13. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, etc., etc. Now, Paul's point there is that if you have an unbelieving spouse, you should remain married to them. But what Paul is speaking to is a very particular circumstance in which two people who are married, uh, one person becomes a Christian, right? This would have been the most, out, uh, most likely outcome uh, in this kind of circumstance that they are both married uh, via the state, right? Uh, and, and maybe particularly a pagan religious ceremony might be involved uh, for the marriage. And then after they're married, uh, one of them becomes a Christian. And Paul says, don't divorce because of that. Stay with your spouse. Now, this is not directly said, but there's an implication there. And the implication is that Paul recognizes the state marriage as a valid marriage. Uh, Paul could have said, hey, now that you're Christian now, you need to do a marriage before God. He could have said that, but Paul didn't say that. Uh, so the implication there is that 
the marriage was valid whether it was a religious ceremony or not. Uh, it could have even been a pagan ceremony. It could have had pagan elements attached to the ceremony. Yet Paul still recognizes a state marriage is completely valid. Uh, so that's what I would say is that even though there is a difference between uh, a state marriage and, and a marriage before God, I do think state marriages are valid. And if you are a Christian, you should seek to be married through the state. So that means that if the state did make heterosexual marriage illegal, that technically between you know a couple and maybe their pastor or some authority in their lives as a witness, they could still be married. So I would say before God and man. In this if hypothetical, if there is a witness, so this is a crazy hypothetical situation. Uh, and then another hypothetical situation that was that I've read is if two people are stranded on a deserted island, mm. what would you do? There's no um, witness there. There's no witness, um, and so I don't know if I have a, as a straightforward answer to that. But to the first hypothetical, what if what if the state outlaws heterosexual marriage? Um, I would say the key to a marriage ceremony is that there's authority, right? That that there's authority over uh, this covenant that's being made between two people. And so whether you do it, if you do it through uh, the state, then it's obviously the state that is overseeing the marriage uh, to make it official. Um, but if the state outlaws that kind of marriage, then I totally think that a church-run marriage would totally be legit. Um, because there are witnesses, there is somebody overseeing that. Um, so, I did. A, I, I don't have references. I could have done a lot better job of compiling like a more detailed thing. But instead, I did kind of a scan of the scope of the narrative of Scripture. And what you see is before Israel is established as a nation, you just kind of have the ancient Hebrews out there, you know, Abraham and them, kind of wandering. And it, it seems to be that. Um, there were still stipulations for that sort of informal, even though they weren't really a nation yet, they still had stipulations for a, a, a contract, um, or even if it was a private contract of marriage. The parents had to agree and, and approve. Um, there there were needed to be witnesses present. You could not consummate your marriage until it was you know, official before those witnesses. Um, and then fidelity is promised to God and to uh, before God, rather, and to the spouse, you know, all of those things existed, even in sort of a nomadic culture, uh, pre-Israel, right? And so um, it seems to be that there, yeah, there is a distinction between uh, both of those, but that authority is important. To your point, you know, that even as early on as that those nomadic times, there there needed to be authority. And the idea of a witness just comes with covenant in general there's typically mm -hmm. especially in that culture in that time a witness to a covenant mm -hmm. that was more often than not done in public and we see instances like between God and Abraham where there's a direct covenant like that but a lot of covenants were made with public witness so right yeah I can't imagine a scenario I think the one of the reasons why that distinction is important is because obviously there is two things going on when there is state marriage and then there's like, you know, a Christian marriage happening. There's something spiritual going on where God unites those people, right? And I, I personally, you know, when I look at scripture and there are many people who struggle with same-sex attraction that would agree with me, um, personally, I don't think that same spiritual thing happens when a same-sex couple is, is married in the eyes of the state. You know, whether they should have that right might be another podcast altogether. But the reality is um, 
there's one marriage that is happening, and but the spiritual side is not occurring. You know what I mean? So there, there obviously is a distinction there, um, because God is not honoring that covenant in that mm-hmm. moment, even if the state is. And so, I, and I think that gives pastors a leg to stand on because they're not required to witness any union, even if it's a heterosexual union. Yeah. They could say, "I don't think this is in good faith," and I don't want to do it. And of course, the default for conservative pastors would be, "Well, no, same-sex marriage is in good faith." But either way, you know, you're, you you have a right to say. Sure. There's a spiritual aspect of this, and I'm not comfortable with the spiritual state of this potential marriage. Sure. Sure. Cool. So, second question. Children, turn it off. All right? <laughs> no, seriously, disclaimer. We are going to talk about some, some sexual things. This is the nature of the question. We're just going to get into it. Ryan, you should be ashamed. Yeah. Of your no, I'm just kidding. Hey, look, youth ask, even ask if you're an older youth, I would encourage you maybe to ask your parents depending on you know, yeah. If, if, <laughs> I said 16 earlier. Let's just say 18 just to be safe so we don't get in trouble. I mean, we're not going to get like too graphic or anything, no. but we are going to answer the question that was asked. Uh, you know, I've, I've always said that no questions are off limits at Theology Thursday, so I'm surprised we didn't get something like this sooner. It it's took us 80-something episodes to get here, but here we are talking about sex on Theology Thursday. Oof. It's about dang time. All right, so um, look, here's the thing. It's so taboo to talk about in church. Even <laughs> Ryan's cringing right now, yeah. but um, this should be talked about. I think the extent of what – and, and in fact, I appreciate this question because the extent of what – a lot of Christians grow up with in churches don't have sex till you're married, and that's it. There's no why, <laughs> and what does it matter? And like, y- you need to have a why, all right? And 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 God has a why for everything that He gives us. Now He doesn't owe us that why, but oftentimes He chooses to give it to us, and it's certainly a good motivator. So I think talking about sex is something that Christians need to do a lot more of and do a lot more openly. So, I appreciate the question, okay? And here's the question. Since we know the marriage bed is undefiled, referencing a verse in Hebrews, uh, are there any specific boundaries of what you can or can't do with your spouse other than sex? Now, I'm going to assume, based on the question, that by sex you mean intercourse. So, anything aside from that, is that permissible between a husband and and a wife. Now, I didn't realize until very recently that this is actually a huge theological debate. And we were talking about earlier how the traditional kind of historical view of the church, of a lot of people that, you know, we quote all the time, you know, St. Augustine or uh, Augustine. I don't know how you say that. Is it Augustine or Augustine? I've heard it both ways. I, I say Augustine, but okay. it doesn't right, really right. matter. Uh, even, oh, I thought there was two different guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Martin Luther, whoever. I mean, it, there are a lot of people who basically think that the only thing that is okay is intercourse to create children between a man and a wife. Like, that's it. Um, essentially that sex is not for pleasure it is for procreation procreation and merely procreation Um, so the church taught that for a very long time now I would reference Song of Solomon to counter that but a lot of these same church fathers didn't think Song of Solomon should have even even been in the Bible Um, and a lot of people today even struggle with it why is it there how do I explain this and they get uncomfortable when they get to that book of the Bible and try and say, well, it's this correlation between, you know, 
Christ and the church and how that, you know. Which it is. And, and it is. That's there, you know. I mean, Jesus is throughout all of Scripture, and there are always those gospel correlations. But that's not the only purpose of Song of Solomon. I, I do believe that Song of Solomon is there to show that God did design sex for pleasure and that um, that a husband and a wife can take pleasure in intimacy with each other and it's not just for procreation. Uh, so, um, Johnny, I know you had some thoughts as well. Ryan said he was going to stay silent on this one because he's not married. He's going to take a very long <laughs> sip of my doctor kid. Um, but yeah. Yeah, well, I would just say hand-holding only. Um, I, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, well, to your point, um, before I say a few things, but very few things, um, there, I would go watch the the Bible project. I actually just wanted to check and see if I had my notes on this, and I don't have them readily accessible. But I remember studying this because it is that, that's an even almost bigger controversy. There are a lot of Christians, even evangelical Christians today, who would say Song of Solomon is kind of iffy. Right. And um, Bible Project, we reference them a lot. They're the great resource. They have a couple of videos, I believe, um, but mainly the Read Scripture video on Song of Solomon. And they do a great job of explaining why it's canon. Uh, of course, one of the simplest reasons is that um, Jesus affirmed the Tanakh and Song of Solomon was in the Tanakh, so, uh, which, is, which is what the Hebrew Bible is, which is what we have today. Um, so Jesus said, oh yeah, no, that's all scripture. He said, not one iota of this will pass away. Um, he was talking about the Tanakh. He was talking about the Hebrew Bible up to that point, which included Song of Solomon. So just that alone means I mean, Jesus said it. So it's, like, it's kind of like he affirmed it. Right. Um, so I, I do think that there seems to be room for, I think to tastefully say, is creativity <laughs> when it comes to sexual expression between two married people. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be a present in Song of Solomon. I think that the keys here are, you know, obviously... Um, rape is not permissible in any circumstance uh, including marriage if it's not consensual you know right. that's not that's not okay and i think that generally speaking um, there's a lot that's okay but it needs to be agreed upon a, a, a both parties and it needs to be um, you know not against the parties but like you're trying to get your spouse to do something that they don't want to do or that they won't enjoy there needs to be that attitude of humility and and self-sacrifice and giving um, to your spouse in, in intercourse and sex and all right. that goes with it. And if you're doing anything that would cause harm to the other person, if you are involving anybody outside of the marriage, yeah, anything like that, that yeah. completely sinful. And right. I, I think those are things that are clear. Maybe not for some people, unfortunately, like the... Uh, the causing harm to other, like that's that's wrong, and you know you can't bring that into it. So, yeah, there are certain boundaries, but it's not it's not as legalistic and prudish as I think some people have made it either. That uh, I think it's actually a very unhealthy mindset to go into a marriage thinking that it is sinful to take pleasure in intimacy with your partner. That that's going to set you up for all sorts of problems. But a lot of Christians think that way and teach that way. And, and I want to say, and I don't know how far we want to go, but, but there's a reason why a lot of Christians say that. And it's because of this, this passage in Genesis. Do we want to go there? Is it, is it 38? 
I believe so. Uh, is it the Onan spilling his seed? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's, we let's went there. Look, it's in the Bible. Oh, it's in the Bible. It's okay. in the Bible. Oh, All right, no. so here's what happens. Okay, I'll let you do it. Yeah, so here's what happens. There's this uh, dude. He is... Um, back then, there was this agreement that the brother would take over the responsibility of... Uh, okay, so say... I, I want to make this not awkward, right? <laughs> Okay, two brothers. One brother marries this woman. They're having a great time, but he dies. He's dead as a doornail. The other brother, next in line, has to take over, especially if that person did not have bear a child. You know, because she didn't. Yeah, so got to got to bear the family line. This is an understood thing. Like it was part of the culture of the time. Um, And so, what this dude does? It sounds weird, but if you didn't have an heir, uh, particularly a male heir. That was a big deal. You're pretty much worthless, right? Well, in that culture, there's another observation about the passage too that a lot of people miss that I'll get to. But um, basically, what happens is, is he 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 doesn't want to do it. Like he's like, I I don't want to, I don't want to have a kid with you. So he does the old pullout method, and <laughs> that's what it says in the Bible. Okay, he does this, and he, the real issue is not even just that that he's not fulfilling a covenantal duty or right. or a cultural duty. It's the fact that he's like, okay, I'll do it. Psych. What he's doing is he's enjoying. I mean, for lack of a better term, like he didn't. He could have just said, I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Right. You know what I mean? But instead, right. he said, I'm going to engage in intercourse with you, even though I'm not going to yield you a child. Right. And that was where God was like, no. Nah. Yeah. So a lot of so he, that was your sole duty. So he drops dead. <laughs> God makes him drop dead. And so a lot of people go to that passage and they're like. Well, if you're not just making babies, then you're just going to drop dead. You are you are as sinful as they come. But it reminds me of a passage in the New Testament with uh, a couple who lies about their giving. And a nice and superior. It wasn't about how much they were giving and how much they were withholding that made them drop dead. Right. It was a, the fact that they lied about it. Um, and so it's really about being truthful before God and man. God takes truth. And he takes falsehood very seriously. And that's what we should get out of these passages. But people take them and turn them into other things. Yeah, people look at it and they read it all in sequence and they go, oh, well, God killed him because he was pulling out. And it's like, <laughs> wait a second, that is not how this thing went down. Right. Uh, in fact, God doesn't even address that. You're, which you, makes... you, you missed the whole point right. if that's what you think that is. So, um, so no, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's the Bible. And, and, and it goes back to this is just like proper... Bible study is you have to look at everything in the context of the rest of Scripture. If you ever find two points in Scripture that you feel like are contradicting each other, then keep studying because they're not. Right. There's a th- th- it'll connect eventually. Um, and so the Scripture interprets Scripture, and you, you gotta you gotta work with the whole of it. And so Song of Solomon, you know, would contradict what how people have interpreted that passage in Genesis. Um, so. So the bottom line that we have here is basically in the confines of a marriage, if it's consensual, if it's agreed upon, if it's communicated. uh, Doesn't involve other parties. Doesn't involve other parties. It doesn't harm the other person. Then it's cool. Yeah. And other parties, I would say, include. It's not just like involving, like, like, I mean, swinging and all that stuff. I think we... Most of Christians listening to this podcast would say that's wrong. But also, I mean, you have, you have to address the issue of pornography as well. Right. Yeah, you can't. You can't be involving that at all. No. And, and so, it, but what I boiled this down to, because this is where the fact that this question would even be asked comes from. 
is that sex was not just invented for procreation. Right. Uh, God also invented it for pleasure between a man and a wife. And I think that's the core issue here. Yeah. Because a Christian culture that has taught the opposite, and, and, and a large part of Christian culture still does, is what leads to questions like this. Yeah. Check out the Bible Project, because if you can verify and, and, and feel fairly convinced that Song of Solomon is canon, is the inspired word of God, then you know right off the bat that sex is not just for procreation, it is also for pleasure. Yeah. I'm also going to re- recommend another resource. In fact, if you want to check it out, it's only like seven bucks. Please use the link in our video description because then we get money. Um, that's not the only reason. It's just easy. It's right there. You're already listening to the episode. Just click it. You're helping us. It's, You're getting the book we recommended. It's, it's Amazon. It has uh, Matt Chandler's The Mingling of Souls. This is probably one of the best works I have ever seen on Song of Solomon. He's got a video series, too, on Right Now Media if you want to hear a sermon series on it. But the book, I think, is actually a faster way to get all the information and it's fantastic and uh, not just uh, the best work that i think i've seen you know in in recent you know history about song of solomon but the best work i've seen from any christian talking about sex and marriage like in just an open and honest and a real way period like i highly recommend this book it really helped prepare me for marriage and just uh, shift my perspective from something that was uh, very limited to uh, just don't do it until you're married. Like, and, and, and I believe that God has given us more than just don't do it. Uh, I, I think he gives us a why, and this book is one of the best resources I could recommend of figuring out what that why is and, and why he's designed things the way that he has. It's a great book. Check it out. Um, Ryan, I know you I'm just kidding. I know you don't want to say anything about this. So um, don't skip the marriage license. <laughs> Sex is great. Wait until marriage. Yeah. Don't do it. Well, Holding hands. All right. Hey, thank you for joining us on this week at Theology Thursday. I highly recommend you go follow us on the Instagram. You follow us on the Twitter. Uh, you can email us at theologythursdaypodcast at gmail.com. We've been getting some great questions. We have questions for weeks to come, but keep them coming. We want to answer all of your questions. And I'm starting to think I should say that some questions are off limits, but they're not. So keep keep them coming. Uh, we we are ready, uh, maybe. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to Theology Thursday, and we hope that you'll join us again next week. Yeah.